for this church. You've been so kind, so friendly toward us, and uh, really appreciate that. Gotten to know your pastor a little bit better this afternoon. We went over to his house for for uh, lunch, and uh, my, we had a wonderful, wonderful time. My Mrs. Dunbar fixed a tremendous meal. My, that lemon pie. I tell you, if I'd have got some of that on my forehead, my tongue would slap my brains out getting to it. <laughs> I tell you. And, uh, and we've made some new friends while we've been here, and I met a very special friend this afternoon. I did. A very special friend. His name is Max. <laughs> you say, who's Max? And they're looking around. Well, that's, that's their, their dog. And uh, he's a uh, part blue healer, right? Part blue healer. And we just bought a, uh, a puppy. He's five months old now. He's a blue healer. And he's a cattle dog in training. And so we're working with him. And i tell you what, uh, uh, I'm looking forward to getting home on Wednesday to, to, to see, uh, see Bo. I'm getting ready to see him. I got a little homesick for him uh, playing with that dog. I tried to leave about three or four times, and it kept looking at me. I had to go back and pet it, you know. And I, felt guilty that I didn't have a dog biscuit in my pocket, you know, and, and uh, so anyway, uh, I may sneak over and, and, and take Max home with me on the plane. I don't know if they'll, they'll allow that, but no, I, I, I probably have to, yeah, no, okay, uh, race that from the tape. <laughs> but uh, we've had a wonderful, wonderful time. We'll be headed back uh, over to Albany uh, on Tuesday night, uh, probably fairly late, and uh, uh, motel over there and then uh, turn the car in uh, Wednesday morning and catch a plane and, and head back to uh, Spokane and uh, back on the firing line. So but we have thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed our, our time here. And uh, I'll tell you, I, I wish you would really pray. You've got a prison right here in your town. And uh, boy, I tell you, anytime I see a prison that doesn't have activity on it, uh, I don't know if anybody's going in and preaching the gospel, but uh, they need to have it. And so uh, just make that a, a matter of prayer, if, if you would. Many, many years ago, the Special Olympics were held in Seattle. And various contestants of various capabilities participated in, in various events. And it came time for the 100-yard dash. First call, 100-yard dash. Second call, 100-yard dash. Final call, 100-yard dash. And the contestants lined up on the starting line and the starter with the gun, on your mark, get set, and boom! And off they begin to run to the best of their ability with various things that they were dealing with. And as they ran, one little boy fell. And he fell down to the cinder turf, and he skinned his knee really bad. He began to cry and whimper. The other nine heard him and stopped. They walked back. And one young lady with Down syndrome kneeled down and put her lips to that bloody knee and kissed it and said, that'll, that'll make it better. 
helped the young man up. They joined hands and they all crossed the finish line together. I tell you that to say this. We need each other. We need each other. And uh, I tell you, you know, <laughs> we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against spiritual wickedness in high places. And we need each other. And we need to encourage one another and pray for one another and help one another and so forth. 1967, January 17th, I raised my right hand and I was sworn in the United States Army. I took my basic training just a few miles from my house at Fort Lewis, Washington. When I completed basic training, they handed me an envelope. I opened up that envelope and it said, your MOS is 13 Alpha 10. What's a 13 Alpha 10? It's a cannoneer on a 105 Air Mobile howitzer. You're assigned to Schofield Barracks, Hawaii. Boy, I thought, Hawaii? The government's sending me to Hawaii and they're gonna pay for it. <laughs> Boy, am I gonna have a time over in Hawaii. Well, wrong, that's where the Americal Division was formed. And the infantry and the artillery and all the support units. We had a big parade right before we got on troop transports, <laughs> merchant marine ships, and they shipped us to Vietnam. We had a big parade. We marched around that parade. The artillery had, had, had their, their uh, red ropes, the infantry had their blue, the support had their yellow, uh, communications had the green, I think it was, and, and, and other units. And I mean, the Marical Division marched around this big field. On the platform was General Westmoreland and other brass. And as we marched by that platform, we turned and they saluted us. And when the parade was over, I went back to the barracks and our gun sergeant came in and he said, boys, and we were boys, I mean 17, 18, 19, he said, boys, get the parade, get, get the khakis off and get your fatigues on. He said, a, a parade uniform is not gonna cut it in combat and we're going to war. I got to Vietnam, it wasn't but a couple of weeks and we had, had our, came under attack for the first time. And all of a sudden I realized that we, that we weren't playing war games on the big island of Hawaii, this was the real deal. Most of the time, I was on an air, a 105, that's, that's a light howitzer. The chopper would pick us up and drop us right out with the infantry and in just a matter of less than a minute, we were ready to fire support for the, for the infantry. But when we weren't out in the field, we were at what they call a fire base, a fire base. Now, a fire base, uh, we would put the cannons in a, a W. Gun one, gun two, gun three, gun four, gun five, and gun six. Always had, had two guns on call and uh, rest were off generally to just do maintenance. 
the infantry pulled perimeter duty. All around that fire base, the engineers would come in and they'd, they'd have about a 300 yard kill space. They'd come in with their dozers and all their equipment and they would clear out a, around the fire base. Around the fire base, you'd have your razor wire, you'd have claymores, you'd have mines, trip flares. So if the enemy tried to slip in, we'd know it. Around that perimeter, there were sandbag bag bunkers. Every so often, all the way around that fire base. Those bunkers were manned at night from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. in the morning. Most of the time, the infantry was out on the perimeter, not the artillery. But occasionally, when there was a lot of infantry out on ambush or patrols, the artillery would have to pull occasional perimeter duty. And such was the case one night. They said, PFC Donnelly, you got perimeter duty on such and such a bunker, report before 6 p.m. I went down and went into that bunker. In that bunker was an M60 machine gun, a radio, a stool to sit on, and a cot. There were always two men in, on that perimeter, in that bunker. And I went in and there was an infantryman there and he introduced himself, where are you from? And I told him where I was from and where he was from. And we, we talked for a little while. And he said, have you ever pulled perimeter duty? I said, no, I haven't pulled perimeter duty. This is the first time. He said, here's how it works. He said, we're here from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. Two hours on, two hours off. Two hours on, two hours off. When the man is on for two hours, he sits on the stool, you've got the M60 machine gun, you've got your radio, and your job is to watch that area right there. You don't have to worry about over here because there's a bunker here that's watch, watching that. He said, do you want to go first or you want in sleep or do you want me to sleep and you go first? And I said, doesn't make any difference. He said, well, I'll go first, you sleep. So I laid down on the cot and <coughs> he said, I'll wake you up in two hours and we'll be your turn. He woke me up in two hours, Pastor. He's got a grenade in his hand with the pin pulled. Now, if you release that lanyard, that grenade's going off. And I said, what are you doing? He looked at me and said, I'm staying awake. I said, you're staying awake? He said, yeah. And he put the pin back in the grenade and he tossed it to me. And he said, now you get up on that stool. And you pull that pin and you suppress that lanyard. And he said, I'm a light sleeper. Now, how many of you understand that when you're in war and combat, things happen. It's not always according to the book. I didn't read that in the army manual anywhere. <laughs> and he said, now you get up there and you pull that pin and you hold that lanyard and you wake me up in two hours. And he said, I'm a light sleeper. And he said, if I wake up before the two hours are up and you put that pin back in that grenade, he said, I'm going to blow your head off, Private. I'll blow your head off. And I said, whoa. 
you're pretty serious. He said, I sure am, because everybody on this fire base is depending on you and me to do our part in this area. And if we let down, the enemy can sneak in and do great damage. He said, everybody's important. And that's how it is. That's how it is. Everybody here is important for the cause of Christ. Everybody. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's one way to heaven, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. I was preaching a revival at the Washington State Penitentiary. And as I was preaching, a man was sitting down toward the front, and he was obviously very broken. Very, very broken. Very emotional during the service. And when we gave the invitation, he came forward, and he was weeping, and he was crying. And he, and he asked if I would kneel with him at the altar. And so we knelt at the altar, and he's just... He's just boohoo, and he's just really, really, really emotional. And the strangest thing happened. And I hope this doesn't gross anybody out, but the strangest thing happened. His nose began to run. And all of a sudden, he's got a stringer hanging down about this far, and he's boohoo, and I'm trying to find my handkerchief to give, give him that, you know. And it's growing and he's weeping and crying and it's growing and, and, and we're down on our knees and, and he's he's crying out and he's going oh god oh god help me oh god and that thing's growing and it's just going and i'm going right with him i thought boy if that thing ever gets loose it'll hang me <laughs> But then the, something happened. He, been to, he said, Father, Father. And he began to confess sins. And at first I thought he was talking to the Heavenly Father. But then I realized his background. And he was calling me Father. And I stopped him and I said, wait a minute. You don't need to confess your sins to me, but you do need to confess your sins to him. I said, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And that man was dealt with very carefully. Let me just, just say this with Rock of Ages. Let me make it very clear. We are not looking for notches on our belt. We deal with people very, very carefully. Now, I know there's some that one, two, three, buckle your shoe and that type of thing, but that doesn't cut it with Rock of Ages. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no salvation apart from repentance. What can wash away my sins? Nothing. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. And in Acts chapter 4, we're going to begin reading in verse 31. Acts 4 and verse 31. 
And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own. But they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And great grace was upon them. I want to preach tonight on great grace and great power. Great grace and great power. Would you bow with me for prayer? Father, I do thank you for the opportunity once again to stand behind this pulpit. Lord, I thank you that pastor has enough confidence in me to turn, turn the pulpit over to me to, to let me preach. Lord, I pray that you'd stir us tonight, challenge us, convict us where conviction is needed. And Lord, I do pray that if there's any in our midst that know not Christ, I pray that they'd be saved before it's eternally too late. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Great grace and great power. Great grace and great power. I think everybody here would admit that we need the grace of God upon our lives, upon our ministry, upon our homes, upon our churches. Great grace. Great grace. And we could talk about grace, and I won't spend a lot of time, just give some references, but there's saving grace. In Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, very, fam very familiar verses to, to all of us, <laughs> if you're a soul winner. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But we often stop there. Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. There is saving grace. Saving grace. I carry with me so often this flyer. This flyer is a notification of a, a, a memorial service at the Airway Heights Correctional Center. The young man's name is Danny. Danny came to our services. He was quiet. He'd sit at the very back, never raise his hand for a prayer request, never raise his hand for a praise. He just was there, faithful, faithful, but he just was quiet as, a, as the saying goes, a church mouse. He just was there. One night, Danny walked forward during the invitation. He was carefully dealt with and he trusted Christ as his Savior. Sometime later, I was in Hastings, Nebraska, preaching a missions conference. My son Scott was covering my service for me at, uh, at the Airway Heights Correctional at, at the camp. The camp's an un unusual place. They partner or join hands. This brother here would probably understand this better than what the official term is, but they partner, they, they join hands with the Department of Natural Resources. And some of those guys at the camp, <coughs> depending on their security level, if they're, if they're low security, low maintenance, uh, they meet the, the physical requirements 
um, depending on their crime, uh, they can apply to be a uh, to work with the Department of Natural Resources and go out and fight fires. And uh, they go through training, they get a certificate, and uh, that certificate, uh, when they get out, it gives them some um, credibility if they want to go into that full time and, and so forth. Danny was on one of those crews. In that parking lot, there were red trucks. I think, I forget what they call them, but there, I think there's eight men to a truck, and that's a fire team. And fire team one, fire team two, fire team three, fire team four, and so forth. And I was holding a missions conference in Hastings, Nebraska, and I called my son Scott, or my son Scott called me, I don't remember how it went, and uh, to give a report of how the service was that night. And he said, Dad, the men, men were, were down a little bit. And I said, oh, what's, what's going on? Is there a problem at the prison? What, what's going on? They said, well, no, not really a problem. He said, you know that young man by the name of Danny that sat at the back? I said, yeah, he was just a quiet, quiet young man. He said, well, he was out on one of the crews fighting fires, and he was operating a chainsaw. And as he was operating that chainsaw, he was dropping trees, and they were trying to make a fire break sort of a thing to keep that, the flames from jumping the road and going over. And he was working that chainsaw, which he had done many times before. But that tree did not go the way that he thought it would go. And it went across some power lines, and those power lines came down, and he was electrocuted. 178 days from the time that Danny walked that aisle and trusted Christ as his Savior, he slipped out to eternity. 178 days. The Bible says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. David cried out, There's a step between me and death. When I think about that verse, I think about my days in Vietnam. Sometimes I'd go out with the lieutenant as a forward observer. We'd be out with the infantry and we'd be walk, walking along and all of a sudden we'd hear an explosion. And then we'd hear those words that we hated to hear. Medic! 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 And we knew what had happened. A man was walking along and stepped on a mine. As long as he had that pressure on that mind it wasn't going off but when he took that next step and released that pressure that mind would go off David says about a step between me and death Danny was dealt with very carefully about his soul and he trusted Christ and when he trusted his Savior he was sealed under the day of redemption. He's kept by the power of God. His name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. The chaplain called me. And he said, Brother Chuck, he said, would you do Danny's service at the camp? I, I, the men would like you to do that service. And I said, what's the date? And he told me, I said, Chaplain, I'm honored that you'd ask me, but I cannot do that. He said, why can't you do that? I said, because I'm going to be at one of the prisons in Boise preaching revival. And I said, if you were to ask Danny, do you want Brother Donnelly to 
do your service or you want him to go on to prison and preach the word of God. I know Danny would say, you tell Brother Don they to go to the prison and preach the word of God because there's people there that need Jesus. And that's what I did. I went on to Boise. There's saving grace. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 2 Corinthians in chapter 9, in verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Not only is there saving grace, but there is sanctifying grace. In Titus chapter 2, it says, The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. But then it says, teaching us, teaching us to do some things. The same grace for salvation is the same grace that will take you down that road of sanctification. And then there is sustaining grace. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul had that, that thorn in the flesh. And he besought the Lord three times to take that thorn away. And what was the answer? No, but my grace is sufficient for thee. There's sustaining grace. Sustaining grace. And then there is serving grace. Serving grace. Church, I've had, had the privilege of sitting in on several ordination councils. Uh, one of the, the first ones I sat in was uh, the ordination council consisted of myself, Dr. Jack Treber from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, uh, Brother Don Dunn, and Pastor Bud Silva. And there was a man from Brother Silva's church that was being ordained into the ministry, and I was part of that ordination council. I've sat on in on three ordination councils at my home church there in Spokane. But I sat in and was part of an ordination council, preacher, of one of the most unusual events that I have been to. There was a young man that was being ordained into the ministry. And the preacher who gave the charge had four points in his message, his charge. It was interesting. Point number one was the grind of the ministry. And he said, boy, the ministry is a grind. And then he said, point number two, the grief of the ministry. And I turned, over, turned next to the preacher and I said, the grind of the ministry, the grief of the ministry, I'm ready to quit. <laughs> and here's this young kid trying to be encouraged to go into the ministry. But then he switched tones and he said, there's the grace of the ministry and there's the glory of the ministry. Now we don't have anything to glory in but Christ, amen? I mean, that's just the bottom line. But the point I'm making is that we need grace for the grind, don't we? I mean, we're in a grind every single day. We're under attack 
every single day. And we need the good grace of God upon our lives, upon our homes, upon our ministries, upon our churches, because it's a battle. It's a battle. Great grace. But I want to spend my time on the second point. Great power. Great power. Let me tell you something. Upon salvation. Well, let's look at it. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Beginning in verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of, the, of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetousness, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, if we stop right there, many of us would have to raise our hands and say, I'm in some deep water right now. But notice what it says in the next verse. And such were some of you. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. He lists all these things, and then he says, and such were some of you. But ye are washed. Washed in what? Washed in the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're washed. You're sanctified. And ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. There's justification, there's sanctification, and there's glorification. Justification is saved from the penalty of sin. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. According to Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, when you trust Christ, you are justified. You are saved from the penalty of sin. Sanctification is saved from the power of sin. Now listen, church. I've heard it as a pastor, and I've heard it as a Rock of Ages missionary for 27 years. I've heard it hundreds of times. Well, the devil just made me do it. No, you sin because you choose to. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And sanctification is saved from the power of sin. Let's just own up to it. Let's just, as out in our part of the country, we say cowboy up. Let's just own up to it. We sin because we chose to. Then there's glorification. Glorification is saved from the presence of sin, and that's, gonna, that's not going to take place when we're on this old sin-cursed world. But when the, we go to meet Jesus in the air, glorified bodies. Amen? Yep. Amen. Amen. And so, now look what it says. In all things, um, verse 12, And all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Now, look at verses 19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body 
and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, I'm just an old-fashioned preacher. I just, I just tell it like it is. Y'all good with that? When I'm, uh, when I'm at the prison, Airway Heights, especially on Sunday night, because those guys are short-timers, those guys are getting out. And I'll say, who's getting out this week? And boy, a hand will go up, a hand will go up, a hand will go up. I say, oh, wow, you getting out this week? Yeah, where are you going? Oh, I'm going back to Seattle. Or, oh, you're getting out? Where are you going? Oh, I'm going to here. Well, you're getting out too? Man, that's wonderful. And I'll say, are, are you saved? Yeah, I'm saved. Are you saved? Yeah, I'm saved. Are you saved? Yeah, I'm saved. Okay. According to the scriptures, you've been bought with a price. And you're to glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And I'll say, when, when you get out, you got no right to go buy 7-Eleven and buy a six-pack of Bud Stupid. Amen! Say, so when you get out, you got no right to go by the wacky tobacco store and get some of that junk. You got no right to roll your sleeve up and be sticking a needle in your arm. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. Well, by that time, they're looking at me like a bullfrog in a hailstorm. <laughs> I'll say, oh, if you're upset with me now, oh my. You're going to blow a head gasket right now. You better buckle your seatbelt, partner. I say, if you're saved, you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. You got no right to go back home and shack up with that woman you're not married to. Get it right. Amen. Amen. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell you. I've had men, men tell me they're as off-doctrinally as doctrinally can be, but they'll say, yeah, I'm saved, but I'm waiting for the Holy Spirit. Well, wait a minute. According to Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not His, you're not saved. Well, that's, that doctrine won't fly. If you're saved... You have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. And it's not a matter of that salvation. How much of the, of the Holy Spirit did you get? You got it all. But the question is, how much of you does the Holy Spirit have? There's a big difference. But then we move into a, another area. And that is the, not the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but the, the, the filling of the, of the Spirit. Look, look at Ephesians chapter 5. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 18. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now that's different than the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now there's a contrast here, being drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit. 
when, when a person is filled with wine, he's probably going to do things that he wouldn't normally do. Drunks do things that they shouldn't normally do. They wouldn't normally do. It's the same way. If you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to act differently. In Galatians chapter 5, it talks about walk in the Spirit. You do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then it says there's a battle going on. And the, the flesh battles against the Spirit. And the Spirit against the flesh. I want you to see something. Look at verse 18. And be not drunk with wine where is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. But notice the next verse. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. There is a direct correlation between filled with the Spirit, and music. You see that? Holy Spirit and music. In 1985, I was called as pastor of the Inland Empire Baptist Temple. We changed the name. It became Gospel Light. Of the Inland Empire Baptist Temple. And boy, when a new pastor gets called, it is honeymoon time. I mean... They roll out the red carpet, you know, and everybody's jockeying for position. Of course, you, that probably never happened here. But j jock, jockeying for position. But let me tell you something. Sooner or later, the honeymoon's going to end. And the honeymoon ended on Resurrection Sunday that following year. I showed up at the church at about 7, 7.30 in the morning. I was in my office, and all of a sudden I heard the most wicked, ungodly beat of music. And I thought, surely there's somebody in our parking lot, and they've got a big boombox or whatever they call those things on their car, and they're playing all this stuff. And boy, I looked in the parking lot, and I didn't see anything. And then I realized it was coming from our auditorium. I walked into the auditorium and here was a lady. Take that back. Here was a, a female. She had a big old tape recorder, boombox, whatever you call those things, sitting on the Lord's Supper table. She was playing this terrible, terrible music. And she was on the platform and she was singing and she was gyrating all over the place. And I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm practicing. I said, practicing for what? She said, I always sing here on Easter Sunday morning, have for years. And I said, well, I hate to break your record you're not singing here this morning. He said, you know who I am? I said, no, who are you? And she told me her name. I said, well, now I recognize that name. Her mom and dad were in the church. Her, her, uh, were charter members of the church. Her brother was my song leader. He ran our, our children's uh, Awana program at that time. I mean, there was 
a whole bunch of that family in the church. And she said, I will sing. And I said, first of all, I'm the pastor. I approve all of the music and I approve who's singing. You are not approved to sing and that music is certainly not approved to sing. She said, well, we'll see about that. I said, you're not singing. One of my deacons came in and he had received a phone call from, from Papa. He said, preacher, I'm with you. We got a battle on our hands this morning. Now we got Resurrection Sunday. I mean, <laughs> there are, are two, two services a year where you get a, a, a lot of it. Sometimes you get visitors, Easter and Christmas. You understand that? Sometimes people, that's the only time they go to church in an entire year. And he said, we're in a battle. I said, that's okay. He said, I'm with you. I'm standing with you, preacher. And boy, here she was, sitting down there, had that boom box. She was all ready to go in her mini skirt and all that business. And there she was. And it got time for the preaching. And I stood behind that pulpit and I said, Brother Larry, I want you to come now and sing special music before I preach. And boy, that woman blew a head gasket and 18 people walked out of that church that morning, Resurrection Sunday. And you know what we had? We had a backdoor revival. Amen. There's a direct correlation between filled with the Spirit and spiritual song. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, when the music of a church starts going south, the church is going south. It's not long after the music goes, the King James goes, the burden for souls go, and the church becomes stale and dead as last year's Christmas tree. Well, it got kind of quiet in here. Let me tell you something. We desperately, I, your pastor, everyone here, churches across America, we desperately need the power of God upon our ministries, upon our lives, the power of God. The church that I pastored in <coughs> Spokane, <coughs> been there for a lot of years, <clears throat> While we were in Bible college, Mount St. Helens blew its top. I mean, there was ash all over eastern Washington and western Washington. I mean, it was a mess. We were back in Bible college, but it was a mess. And I mean, they had, <laughs> had <laughs> ash in their parking lot like that. And the men got together, what are we going to do? And they got the idea... Our parking lot, asphalt parking lot, had these big grates of drains and the water would run down there and then it would run out. And so they got hoses and squeegees and brooms and they began to push all of that ash and it became wet and gooey and they began to press that down those storm drains. Now you take 
<laughs> you take ash <coughs> and gravel and water, what are you going to have? It's going to be almost like concrete. And those things all got hard down there, and now when we'd have the snow would melt or we'd have a big rainstorm, those things would fill up, and our parking lot would begin to, to fill. Sometimes it was that deep. I mean, I thought, <laughs> I told the men one, one, one day in the Dakin's meeting, I said, you know, the... Uh, Offerings have been down a little bit, and if we get another storm, and we'll, we'll, we'll have a lake out there, and let's get some trout and put some trout in there and advertise trout fishing <laughs> and charge, charge people to come. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get this up a little bit. <laughs> and wh what we would have to do <coughs> is we had something called a sump pump, and we'd put that pump out in the, the middle of those pond sometimes they'd be half as big as this auditorium and we'd put them there we'd run an extension cord into the far side of the building and plug it in run a hose out to the lawn on, on one of the church parsonages and that water would pump through that and go out and then we'd get, get rid of it and then we'd have to move move that sump pump and eventually it was all gone well one Saturday night I was operating that pump and I'd go, and then I'd go to the house or go to make business or whatever I was doing, and I'd come back an hour later, and, and uh, I'd move it, move it, move it, and getting re ready for Sunday. Well, I came back, and nothing had happened. And I thought, why isn't that water draining? And I began to walk around and look a little bit, and then I realized our church custodian was vacuuming the hallway where our choir would line up to go into the choir loft and he had pulled that plug on the, the sump pump on the extension cord to plug in the vacuum cord and when he got through vacuuming he forgot to put that, that uh, extension cord back in there so there wasn't any power. Now wait a minute, was the power available? Absolutely, but it wasn't plugged in and that's the way it is with a lot of Christians that power is available but we're not plugged in we're not plugged in and we wonder why there isn't anything going on in our ministry or this or that or that or that hey the power source is available great power is available but we're not plugged in to the power source I'll not, not, not take a, a lot of time, but there are two sins that we can commit against the Holy Spirit. We can quench the Holy Spirit, and we can grieve the Holy Spirit. If, if you study the Bible, you will see that there are symbols for the Holy Spirit. One of those symbols is oil. One is fire. One is a dove. But one of the symbols is water, is water, illustrating the Holy Spirit. We have a garden at our house. And when we moved up to Clayton from the Tri-Cities, my wife wanted a garden. So she said, let's stake out a, a garden. 
And so we put some steak, I put some steaks out and we, everything, and I said, we'll do this and here will be the garden. And she said, oh, no, I'll, no, let's move the steaks this way. 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 I said, you don't want a garden. You want a football field. <laughs> what in the world? And so we got the garden all in and rototillered it up and, and everything, got everything worked out in the plant, plants. She does a marvelous job on her garden. I mean, she's, she, that's, well, that's her thing. She likes that garden. And we hooked, hooked up a hose to the hydrant right by one of the livestock water feeders. And we ran that hose from that hydrant out to that garden where that sprinkler was. And lifted that lanyard on that hydrant, expecting that sprinkler to start going and spread that water. And nothing Nothing happened. I knew we had water to, to, to the stock uh, uh, tank. I knew we had water in the house. Why don't we have water out to the garden sprinkler? And so I began to walk along that hose. And you know what I found in that hose? There was a kink. And when I undid that kink, the water flowed. And the truth of the matter is, a whole lot of us have a kink in that hose and doesn't allow the, the Holy Spirit to flow through and to do his work, what he wants. I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Before we moved up to Clayton, we lived down in, in the Tri-Cities, Eltopia, just north of Pasco, and we had a four-acre alfalfa field. And then there was the road, and then there was the rest of our acreage and the house and small barn and so forth. We irrigated. We used hand lines, 40-foot hand lines that are three inches in diameter. In that canal where we drew our water out of, there was the canal. There was the pump. The line went under the, the main road into our, our field to valves, and the valves were staggered across the, 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 the four acres and the hand lines went out from that. On those hand lines there were risers. There were pipes that came up and there's a sprinkler head on the top. And when you would prime that pump and get that pump going, it would pump water out of that canal underneath the road and those pipes 
to that valve, into that valve, into that valve, into that valve, into that valve, down those hand lines, down those pipes, up through those risers, into that sprinkler head, and the sprinkler head would turn around and it would shoot that water out on our alfalfa field. Many times, <laughs> Melissa helped me with those hand lines. You want to do them again, girl? No. Hot, muddy, hard work. But here was the problem. Along that canal bank, there were these, what I called scrub bushes, scrub trees. And they had little seeds on them. And those bushes would shed those seeds. And those seeds would go into those, that canal and they'd begin to float. And we had a screen around the, the pump that would draw the water out of the canal, but sometimes those seeds would slide through. They'd flow underneath the road to, to where the valves were, down those pipes, up those sprinkler heads, uh, up those risers, into those sprinkler heads and those sprinkler heads had a little tiny opening that would shoot the water out and those seeds would lodge in there and would pre prevent that water from flowing. How many times did we clean those out, Melissa? Many, many, many times. Here's the problem. Many times We've got seeds of sin in our life that prevent the water, the Holy Spirit, from flowing through our lives so that the work can be accomplished. Sometimes they're the seeds of bitterness. Sometimes the seeds of wrath. Sometimes the seeds of anger. Sometimes the seeds of clamor. Sometimes the seeds of evil speaking. Sometimes the seeds of malice. And those seeds grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And when the Holy Spirit of God is grieved, we cannot accomplish what He wants to accomplish through us because there is a blockage. There is a kink in our hose, if you would. And I'm convinced that one of the great needs in our churches, in our ministries, in this missionary's ministry, is we must have the power of the Holy Spirit to try to accomplish the work of God without the power of God is not going to produce anything. And we must eliminate those seeds we must eliminate that kink in our hose that prevents the Holy Spirit from flowing so we can do the work of God. It's a must, an absolute must in our ministries. And it's something that's so lacking. Let me tell you something. I know it to be true because it's been true in my life. It is easy to do the work of God in the flesh. 
It's easy to do the work of God in the flesh. But it's not going to last. It's not going to last. We must, must have the power of God upon our lives. And we must not have those seeds that are blockage. We must not have that kink in our hose, but that hose must be free. Those seeds must be eliminated out of our lives and confess for what they are, sin, and so that the Holy Spirit can flow and empower us to do the work of God. Let me just ask you a question. How, how many of you? I've already got my hand up. How many of you have done the work of God in the flesh? It's easy to do. But it doesn't produce anything. It's fruitless. It leads to frustration. It leads to frustration. We must. When I go into that prison, regardless of which one it is, I'm going into a dark, dark, dark place. And I owe it to those men that are going to sit under my preaching that day, that hour, that afternoon, that morning, whatever it is. I owe it to those men to have those seeds gone and have that kinked hose unkinked so I can go in with the power of God and God can do his work and men will come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. If I go in without the power of God, I might as well just stay home. It's not going to accomplish anything. It's the same way in church work. It's the same way when someone stands to sing, you need to have the Holy Spirit in control. You need to be filled with the Spirit. When preachers stand behind this pulpit, they need to be filled with the Spirit. When Sunday school teachers are in their classes, you need to be filled with the Spirit. Junior church workers need to be filled with the Spirit. And oftentimes, we've got those seeds that are a blockage. Oftentimes, we've got a kink in that hose it's not allowing that flow. And we owe it to those that we're ministering to to have the power of the Holy Spirit upon our lives. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. I wonder tonight who would say, Preacher, the truth of the matter is, I don't even know if I'm a child of God. I don't even know if the Holy Spirit indwells me. I don't know, know that I'm born again, but I need to be. I need to be. I need to be. Pray for me. I need to get this matter of salvation settled. Pray for me. Pray for me. If that's you, just slip your hand up. I'll not embarrass you. I'll not come to you. But I do want to pray for you. Anybody at all. I'm not sure I'm saved. Pray for me. All right, let me ask you. As Christians, you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. When you got saved, the Holy Spirit came. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. But what about the filling of the Holy Spirit? What about the filling of the Holy Spirit? Or are there seeds of sin that are keeping the flow, the blockage? Now, how about the kink in the hose? Is there a kink in the hose that's... Preventing the flow of the Holy Spirit.
from working in your life and helping you to minister. I wonder if there'd be those tonight to say, Preacher, there are times when I operate in the flesh. I don't want to, but I do. I operate in the flesh, and I need the Holy Spirit. I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I need to be empty of self and filled with the Holy Spirit. I need the power of God upon my life as, as I minister to people. But the truth of the matter is, sometimes I do it in the flesh. I know it's not right. I know it's wrong. I wonder if there'd be those that would say, Preacher, that's me. I, I operate in the flesh sometimes, and I know it's wrong. I know it's wrong. And I need to get rid of some seeds of blockage. I need to get rid of that kink in the hose. I need the power of God upon my life. Pray for me. Just, just pray for me. I'll not embarrass you. I'll not come to you. But, but preacher, pray for me. If that you, just slip your hand up. All right. Now, those seeds, and there's others, but we just mentioned those that grieve the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 4. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe there'd be those tonight that just need to come to an old-fashioned altar and say, I've got this seed and that seed and it's a blockage and I'm rooting it out. I'm giving it to, to, to you, Lord. Help me. Help me to have the power of the Holy Spirit upon my life as I minister in this church and go out during the week. And I want the power of God upon my life. I've got a kink in my hose that's keeping the flow from reaching its destiny. Maybe you just need to come to an old-fashioned altar tonight and confess it for what it is, sin. Get it right. Be able to leave here. Nothing between me and the Savior. Have thy own way, Lord. Have thy own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will while I am waiting, yielded and still. We're going to stand. The piano pianist is going to start playing. Father, I pray now that you'd bless the invitation. Lord, many, 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 many hands have gone up. And the truth of the matter is, probably all of our hands should go up. Lord, I pray that you'd have your will and have your way in this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. As the pianist